Hello and welcome to Landings with a Flare, the podcast where we supplement and support flight training. This is Captain Teresa. This conversation was recorded on the audio platform called Clubhouse. You will likely hear some variation in audio quality as speakers tune in from around the world. We hope you sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversations. Welcome aboard. For everyone who has just joined us, we are very happy to have you here. We are going over four questions, and we're asking professional pilots to contribute. The questions are, what country are you in? What is your current job? How you did your flight training and the jobs you've had since then? Phil, thank you for joining us. Please tell us about your aviation journey. Hey, guys. Hey, I'm Phil from Germany, living in Munich, from Munich. I did my training with an airline. It was an ATPL integrated airline. So uh, from the first hour on, we learned how to fly jets. Only the aircraft were powered by piston engine aircraft. And then after 10 days off, after training, I started my first type rating and flew two and four engine jets, ultra short to ultra long haul, five ratings currently. And two months before COVID hit, I terminated my job to do something different. Right now I'm self-employed in another industry, but it's tough getting new jobs over here in Europe right now, especially on the big ones, because I'm rated 330. So my next step will be getting an FAA license and trying my luck in the U.S. And I can't wait to meet you when you come to the U.S. So Phil, I have a question. Would you explain a little bit more about how a school can be integrated with an airline? Some people are not familiar with that. It's normally you have to apply for that kind of program and you have to have a medical things, especially with airlines who, who are sponsoring your program. That's just an insurance for them. So don't worry. Then the program itself is the same as you would do with a normal ATPL course. Ours was not a modular one. So it was all after each other for 18 to 20 months. Part of it was in Europe and part of it was in the States from a flying point of view. Theory on in Europe. And then you do start single engine piston VFR and then you move on to IFR and then also multi-engine piston VFR and quick upset recovery training for four hours and then that's it. So from the first hour on, you were streamlined to the airline procedures. Yeah, and I never learned how to fly. I said never did it so far because you don't want to do that on a big jet. And yeah, it's, it's like the procedural stuff, CRM topics, threat and error management topics were also part of the training. Yeah, so for me, then the, the next step moving on to the type rating was actually in that point uh, really, really easy because nothing new for me except the low visibility operation from a planning point of view. I can recommend it if you can get into such a program because you're already one step in an airline, though it's not a guarantee that you are getting a job afterwards. But overall, a very good training and um, glad I did that. Philip, thank you so much for explaining that. I, I didn't hear the one thing you said. You said you never got to fly what? A glissade. A what? Glissade, you mean like a, like a little... um. What is it called? Um, like in a little yaw moment on final approach to, to lose altitude. A slip, perhaps? Yeah, you don't want to do that. So that's one thing we did. And yeah, they were always picky on procedures. So it was uh, like a little bit too much military style. But yeah, in the end, it was a good training, though. 
Oh, wonderful. Thank you for explaining that. And I want to take one more quick pause to also explain some different terminologies. So in Europe and in many parts of the world, there's a difference between a modular course and something called an integrated program as well. Now, you can tell me if I'm right or not. Anyone can speak up who wants. Now, the modular course, I believe, is a little bit equivalent to what we would call a Part 61 course in the United States, where it's maybe a little bit less structured and the pilots can kind of go at their own pace. But then an integrated program is more like what we would call a Part 141 program in the United States, which has a very rigid, fast-paced syllabus and everyone basically follows the same syllabus. Am I saying that correctly? Anyone can speak to say if I'm right or wrong. Yeah, I think you're correct. The difference between two of them, in one, you can do self-time building and, you know, root flying, and it will be recognized in your hours. In the other ones, you have to follow fully the, the structure and the program of your school, and it's a bit short. Excellent. Thank you so much, Zubek. I really appreciate it. And I also want to say I'm also finished frozen ATPL. That means CPL was my license then. And I have the ATPL theory as a credit already. So after gaining 1,500 hours, it took me only two approaches in the simulator. And then I got my ATPL. Also, we were talking about MPL courses. Uh, more and more airlines are getting rid of that program because it's only limited for multiple operation and lack of quality in some cases. And also, if you don't get a job, getting a new job as such an applicant is really, really tough because also the airline itself has to have special instructors who are allowed to instruct people with MPL licenses. So it's gotten really unattractive and nearly no one has it anymore. Oh, interesting. I see how it could be beneficial in some circumstances, but also somewhat limiting. Very interesting. Yeah, you fly like a third less hours. And over here, I had like 240 hours on the Unreal Aircraft before I started typewriting. Okay, okay. And Maura, I don't know if you have any comments on that or if you agree or disagree. You're welcome to tell us either way. Well, to a large extent, I, I agree generally. The, the MPL is pretty much an integrated program. However, it is very much restricted to the airline that you you did your course with. Because every MPL is is in partnership with a particular airline. Um, we've seen an example where I think it was a German Wings or so. When it went down, some of the guys who were on the MPL program had a bit of trouble changing airlines. Because usually your license is restricted to the airline until the point when you finish your base training or you unfreeze your ATPLs. I'm not sure if this is a similar situation in the FAA program where with the MPL you do the 14 theory exams and until you get the 1500 hours that required you don't have your full atpl license yet so that that becomes a limitation in most cases however if everything goes according to plan you pass all your exams and you're able to progress naturally with the airline it's more or less just as any other route however the big advantage here is you have a job waiting at the end of your training and yeah that that is the the big advantage. However, there are so many disadvantages as well. I understand some airlines have gotten rid of it. However, I'm aware EasyJet is still very big on it. Qatar was as well. They've just recently put up a lot of advertisement looking for people for these programs. So uh, if it works for you, uh, as an individual, you'd have to look at the advantages and disadvantages. If it works for you, uh, if not, you could go the modular or integrated route. Wow, thank you so much. I really appreciate that balanced assessment. Captain Unmesh, go ahead. 
in India, what we have is basically when you get up to corporate jets, you become, you either fly the big two, either it's the Airbus or the Boeing. Now, if you look based into what is required for, to start off uh, in Boeing, you do not need a multi-engine hours, which is 15 hours on the aircraft and 10 hours on the simulator. As compared to the Airbus, you need 25 hours of multi-engine training, which is 15 hours in the aircraft and 10 hours can be in a certified simulator. This is to get your basic training on the Airbus 320 or the Boeing 737NG to start with, or, or the MAX right now. Now, in India, when you complete your uh, CPL license, which you can do from any country in part 161 or 41, your basic requirement is when you get back, you give two assessments, you get, in, you get the Indian license. Now, up to this time, all your courses are funded by yourself. When you move on to the bigger jets, Right now, because it's supply and demand and you have more people wanting to get inside the big jets and want to fly, it's you fund your own type rating courses. That's when your course comes in where you need a multi-crew or you don't need a multi-crew. Essentially, even without your MPL or without your JCC or without your uh, multi-engine, you can still end up flying the big jets because that's how the requirement goes. Now, does that make you a safer pilot or not? You should understand that every pilot has worked hard to get to where they are and courses are just a part of it. The person who taught me how to fly was a 70-year-old retired neurosurgeon from the States and, you know, knowledge never ceases to exist. There's always places like this, like how Captain Teresa is setting up, are places where you can go ahead and gain your knowledge to learn. This is Unmesh, I'm done speaking. Thank you. Captain Unmesh, thank you so, so much for saying that as well. Okay, Tamara, thank you for your patience. Please do tell us about your career. Well, I'd say my career is sometimes a series of failures, but I am born and raised in Texas, and that's where I'm currently back in Texas in the DFW area. So makes me a USA pilot. I started all my training in, under my parents, mostly, who were all instructors and air traffic controllers and mechanics. So all Part 61, as we would know it over here in the U.S., and they did ship me off to a couple of Part 61 schools that were a little bigger because we didn't have all the airplanes. Everything I learned to fly was all vintage airplanes when I was born, and now they're all museum pieces, so that says a lot. My first jobs were we had a business rebuilding airplanes, so that was my job as a kid, salvaging and learning to rebuild airplanes as well as flying. Eventually became a CFI as well as an AMP. We had a little flight school that we had started when I was a teenager. And then I was also doing some contract work with the corporate flying that my mom and dad both did. And my mom was an air traffic controller during this time. And I also did a little bit of ferry pilot work, not a whole lot because I was still very new on the hours. I did wash out of ATC school for a good reason. It's definitely not, does not fit the ADHD mind in my, in my brain anyways. I worked as a mechanic for a while when I first went out in the real world away from my parents and eventually made it up to a part 145 chief inspector. So I went from turning wrenches to telling others that they're doing it wrong or right, depends on your point. In a few in-between jobs, I jumped into a corporate pilot gig overseas 
and I went to Germany. It was based in Germany. We flew around the world. I was flying the Cessna XLS as well as the Citation Sovereign. And I was also director of maintenance for that same company. They had a few other smaller airplanes like a Mooney, a Piper Cub, and a couple other things that they like to keep running. So I did that for about two and a half years before I came back. Got to travel around the world, fly both oceans. It was kind of a cool corporate gig. And then I came back. I jumped back into the corporate contract flying, corporate stuff, as well as the ferry. And then I jumped into what they call the small freight uh, cargo operations, still 135, but it was all piston as we would piston engine airplanes. I was flying. I enjoyed it. Flew nights, flew days, mostly meds, and they no longer fly them. Cancel checks for the local banks here in the U.S. And now, currently, I I did a, accidentally start a flight school, and it went on for about eight years. It is still operational, but I left the flight school. Uh, early 2020 for other reasons, not just the pandemic, but the pandemic did not help us. And then it is still going, but I am still an independent instructor as well as independent mechanic IA inspection authorization. And I'm helping with a lot of restorations as well as my own first airplane that I get to rebuild, uh, 1946 Aranka Chief. So we'll see what happens with that one. And that's what I'm doing currently, bouncing around. I'm an author. I have my own books on Amazon. Welcome to Twin Time. It's teaching twins. It's good around the world, but you can find it on Amazon under CFI Mom. And I also help run a nonprofit trying to get more women in aviation. As we can see, there's not a whole lot of us out there, but we're making inroads. Um, did I cover everything? Oh, Tamara, so your your career is a series of successes. I don't want anyone to think anything differently. Tamara and her mom are both somewhat famous for being very highly certified women pilots and maintenance technicians in the United States, running a school that especially helps train women. Or is it okay with you if we say the name of that academy, Tamara? Yeah, Girls in Flight Training Gift Academy Incorporated. We're out here in Texas. Wonderful, wonderful. So flying around the world, being highly certified. Her mom is a famous examiner. She's one of the most knowledgeable people around. So we are very happy to have you, Tamara. Speaking of successful women pilots, we have just been joined by another one. Abingdon, thank you for joining us. I know you are taking time out of a really important Women in Aviation conference to come and join us. How are you? And would you be so kind as to tell us where you're from, where you did your flight training, what you currently do, and what jobs you had in between then. Beautiful. Okay. The toughest part was finding a quiet spot at this conference. We have a booth in the exhibit hall because not only am I a pilot, but I also own a watch company that makes watches for the mechanics and the pilots and the rampers and the flight attendants and the dispatchers and the many, many, many people that make our airplanes fly in the air successfully. So I'm here with my staff. In fact, they've already started selling watches today. We've just had a, a bangerang show, so it's kind of intense. But uh, for me, my flying career started 16 years ago, and that's when I took my very first lesson at Santa Monica Airport. I had wanted to learn how to fly since I was 14 years old when I heard about it in high school. None of my family knew how to fly. They didn't know how to advise me. My parents were always very supportive and encouraging, but they knew nothing about flying airplanes. So they just said, okay, go figure it out. 
And uh, we didn't really come from a rich family at all. I had to pay for not only my university degree, but also all of my flight training. So I got real creative. And I went to flight school at American Flyers because there was one thing that my mother always said to me, and that was be smart enough to be dumb enough to ask. And what that meant is ask the questions that probably will get a no but you're not going to know about that until you ask. So when I was researching flight schools at Santa Monica Airport at the time in 2006, there were five, and I interviewed each one. And I said, can you teach me how to fly really fast? Because I've got all these college loans, and I want to start working as a pilot, and I uh, I just need to start getting paid for this really quickly. So how fast can you teach me? And the second question I asked is, do you have any jobs available? I just graduated college. I just got back from the Peace Corps. I don't have a dime to my name. I need some money. (laughs) And then the third question I asked was, will you pay for my flight training? And that question, one of the five flight schools said yes to all three. Yes, we can train you really fast. Yes, we have jobs available. It's called an internship program where we pay for your flight training And then you work for us for a year. And at the end of the year, you'll walk away with your private instrument commercial ratings and flight instructor if you want to continue on for an additional 13th month. So I was able to get my flight training financed and get a job. And I got my private in 34 days and I got the instrument and commercial one year later. So that's my story. Today, 16 years later, I ferry airplanes. I've flown for the airlines. I've flown corporate. I have done some flight instruction. If you remember a show called Flying Wild Alaska, I was Ariel Tweedo's flight instructor on that show. And I probably have about 80 different airplanes up to the Airbus. Last big airplane I ferried was a Boeing 747 to Germany last summer. It's been a blast. If you're considering going into this industry, you're going to have the time of your life. Wow, Abingdon, thank you so much for telling us about that. I mean, you ferry all of these airplanes around the world and you've had so many different experiences. Can I just ask you to list some of the different types of airplanes you've flown around the world for ferrying and that kind of thing? Well, considering I'm five foot six, 110 dripping wet, I get to ferry all the tiny things that the big guys can't fit into. So a lot of the Cirruses I'll fly, since I'm based out of Las Vegas, we do a lot of West Coast departures, Pacific crossings, ocean crossings. So a Cirrus to Hawaii is about 18.0 hours in an SR-20. In an SR-22, you're looking at about 14 to 15 hours, depending on if it's turbo or not. Let's see. I first one I flew was a twin commander, an aero commander, which if you know who Bob Hoover is, he's a legend in aviation. He's very famous for pouring iced tea while doing a barrel roll in a twin commander. Probably the most odd airplane I've flown is a Partenavia. Um, look that one up because they don't make those anymore. It's an older airplane and not many exist still. Also, I've flown uh, Lance Airs. I used to be one of their uh, salespersons and delivery pilots for them. So Lance Airs are experimental built. Gosh, uh, if it's fabric covered, if it's metal covered, if it's fiberglass or carbon fiber covered, um, I've probably flown it. I have flown in helicopters. However, I'm not heli rated, but that will change hopefully this year. And then I do have my seaplane rating. So 
Piper Cubs, any of those type of things that you can put on floats, Cessnas, all that, they're in the logbook too. And seaplane rating's a blast. It doesn't make me any money at all. I spend way too much on it, but it's like my happy place. So, yeah. Thank you so much. And I wanted to say one other thing. I don't consider myself to be a very materialistic person, but one of my most prized possessions is my beautiful pilot watch from your company. I feel like a strong, powerful woman just wearing that watch. I absolutely love it. Do you want to say the name of your company one more time? I'm smiling too much right now. You just warmed my heart. Thank you so much because that is that's what I want for people when they wear this watch is to feel exactly like that. Um, the watch company I started uh, 15 years ago, about a year right after my internship. It's called the Abingdon Watch Company. It's linked in my profile. Follow us on Instagram. We make adventurous watches and empowering watches for women. The reason being, so, I mean, guys, I'm not, I'm not going to apologize or anything. There's lots of watches for men, and we have tons of watches that men wear as well. But we specifically market towards the ladies' market because in the watch industry, women are often an afterthought. So we're making aviation watches, pilot watches, dive watches, tactical watches. Um, in the automotive space, we're in all, all the adventure markets, and our goal is to empower women to do these crazy things that I love to do. I really just want selfishly more friends uh, in this space. So Captain Teresa, I hope one day you and I get to fly together. I think that would be a blast. So I'm so glad you're in the crew. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I share that sentiment. I look forward to meeting you. And then I we got a comment in the chat that said, wow, women can do anything nowadays. And I believe you, what you and Tamara are doing, flying small airplanes all over the world, even if you've never seen them before, just getting in these planes and flying them all over the world across oceans. I mean, this is amazing. Okay, we have two distinguished speakers who I really, really both have an enormous amount of respect for. And I appreciate the gentleman and the patience for both of you to be willing to let other speakers go first. Captain Gemma, please tell us about your career. And if you want to take a little bit more than a minute and a half or two minutes and tell us what you do as well, you're welcome to do that. Okay, thank you very much, Captain Teresa. Really happy to have you um, here and thank you for inviting me. So I'm Captain Gemma Giardi. I'm the PhD of Economic and also I have very, very high patience on the aviation I learned aviation since I was in, I think, junior high school. So I got more serious when I was in the senior high school. The thing is, I don't have money that time to go for flat school because, um, yeah, nobody does, right? And then uh, the only thing for me that time, I have a huge dream to become a pilot. I really love 737. So my first study on the aviation is not a Cessna. It's not a basic aviation. I know I did wrong path. So I learned everything from the 737-200 that day when I was in the senior high school. I downloaded a flight simulator. So maybe until today, I got like more than 10,000 hours on the PC flight simulator. But I found that really helpful when I trained myself on all books of 737. Then I had opportunity to uh, went to my real flight school. It was in 2016. Um, I know about the accelerated program. So I joined one of the small company in the United States on the accelerated program on my private pilot. Then I created my own program that day. I set up my own school. 
So I made a work record. I did my FAA private and instrument back to back 24 straight days. And after that, I came back to my country. I live in Indonesia. Then I went back to States six months after building the time in Asia, flew with my friends. And then I completed my commercial within six month period from the first I got my private. It was in 2016. And I jumped into Citation 5, PIC type rating on the Citation, and I flew for a Medifact. And most of the time, I flew under Part 91, though. So it's an empty leg flying because I'm not a U.S. citizen, so I'm not a green card holder at that time. So I cannot fly to 135. Then 2016, um, I set up my flight school and start to advertise it. Yeah, uh, 2017 by September, I'm officially FAA flight instructor, and since then, I'm I'm teaching on my own school, created accelerated program, and finally made another world record to graduate my students, get FAA commercial instrument single engine land about 80 days and 100 days. Uh, that's a quiet experience, and I'm really happy to teaching. And for now, I'm currently FAA flight instructor, airplane, single multi-engine land, single agency, and also DGCA flight instructor for Indonesia. I graduate from National Transportation Safety Board, NTSB, for aircraft accident investigation in March 2021. Currently, I'm flying the 737NG as a pilot in command and also 737MAX as pilot in command. Um, at the other hand, actively represent the FAA as a training provider. So we are currently FAA safety represent- representative training provider. So in our business in aviation, we own a flight school based in KVNY, Van Nuys, California. So if uh, the other lady is from Santa Monica, so we are pretty close. Also, we just set up a new ferry flight company. I flew the 737 for ferry, delivered the airplane back to the Lizor or send the Lizor to the airline. I'm really glad to fly the ferry flight. So most of the time, we're going to fly Part 91 and conduct all the seminars. That's why I'm really happy to be invited by Captain Teresa in this great program. I'm looking forward to do more workshop um, to everyone in the world who are really interested to, interested to improve the knowledge from any major branches of aviation. So that's for me. Captain Gamma, thank you so much. You have a very interesting career. And what's really nice about it is how many other pilots you have helped through accelerated training and through converting pilot certificates and licenses. And we are going to have two podcast episodes that will come out shortly after this one, where we do a, a very detailed interview with you about information on converting pilot certificates. And yeah, just to make sure that we know, what is the name of the accelerated pilot program you have, if you would say that again? It's a 14-day pilot flight academy. You can find us in the YouTube channel and also Instagram. And currently, I just upload my 737 oral exam videos. So that could be a great reference to learn about a Boeing 737 too. So 14-day pilot flight academy. Wonderful. Thank you so much. We are coming to one of the speakers that I was really, really hoping would speak today. And he was being a true gentleman and letting a lot of the other speakers speak first. I wanted Johnny to come and tell us about his career. He is a pilot who has flown helicopters and fixed-wing airplanes and is a part of a really interesting organization. Johnny, please do tell us about yourself. 
Well, good morning. Thank you. That was very elegant and very nice of you. Captain Teresa, as always, I am so glad to be here and be a part of your team and what you're creating. For me, my name is Johnny. I'm from the United States. My training was received all through the military. Like Captain Teresa said, I first started out flying helicopters, flying medical evacuation. Helicopters in the Black Hawk, which is the equivalent to the S-70 type rating. Got a chance to do that in the combat environment. It was very, very rewarding. Flying helicopters is a great thing. So transition over to flying fixed wing. In the Army, I've flown probably every type of flight profile that you can fly in the Army. Type rated in the B-200 Heavy, the B-350, the Dash 6, Dash 7, Dash 8. I've flown aerobatic aircraft doing upset recovery, flying the um, these land aircraft, the extra 300, and the Grobe aircraft. I've had extensive international experience flying all over the globe, just like uh, some of the other ferry pilots in here. I've had the distinct opportunity of flying a King Air from Korea to Texas, which is quite a long flight, you know, flying over the Atlantic halfway around the world seeing some great locations, just having a great time doing that. I flew aerial ISR, that's intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance missions, flew that uh, in several uh, conflicted areas or certain certain areas. Currently, I am the director of aviation standardization for the United States Army Parachute Team, the Golden Knights. It's a very different type of flying, very hands-on, you know, hand-flying, very precise timing, very precise points on the ground to do certain things with the community. You know, I love to speak about aviation everywhere I go. Everyone is very interested in what we do. Um, that, that, is, that is me. That, that is what I have going on. Uh, and I want to just to take away from this pathways to pilot careers is that you have so many different opportunities in aviation. And I think it's, it's illustrated through this one, this one group today. You know, we have this a lot, but this is, is very good. I'm very delighted to hear all these people talking and letting everyone know there's so many opportunities out there in aviation. You really should ask the questions that you've been wanting to ask. Take advantage of all this different type of experience and get the knowledge so you can find your pathway and make the best decisions. You know, for me, going forward, I'm transitioning out of the military. So I just wanted to say, you know, everyone stay tuned. There will be a title change coming soon. Thank you for having me. That's, that's Johnny, and I'm done speaking. Johnny, thank you for your very interesting service and best wishes to wherever your career takes you in the future. I mean, it, that is truly amazing. You've flown around the world. You've done everything from combat missions, if I'm not mistaken, to, to performing in air shows with the uh, Golden Knights. I mean, you've had a very interesting career. And also, thank you as well for being one of the the moderators in this club, Pilot Flight Training on Clubhouse. Your support has helped make this club exist, and I really appreciate it. Okay, so that officially wraps up our speaker panel. Are there any other speakers that had other thoughts of anything you wanted to add or advice you want to give, or even maybe telling just an inspirational story that happened to you that you believe that flight students should know? I mean, it's easy to say, oh, yes, here we are. We made it. But all of us had lots of hidden struggles along the way. Would anyone like to flash your microphone and say more or give more advice? Captain Unmash. Yes, well, once again, thank you, Teresa, for such a platform. To say the least, 
every pilot is not meant in a day, you know. It takes years of practice, years of maneuvers, years of understanding the machine, which has a numerous number of parts. And one mistake does not even offer you a crematorium. You know, it's, it's uh, that's fatal. So, you know, any pilot in the making, anyone wanting to get their wings, it's the biggest thing that's needed to be a pilot uh, is money, of course, and also is patience. So, you know, you have the patience, you, uh, you know, have the focus. Uh, flying and getting your wings isn't far away. Well said. It takes so much persistence to be a pilot. When I was a new student in my university, I would look at other students in my aviation classes, and I would wonder which ones were going to make it as a pilot. And it turns out that I was terrible at predicting because sometimes the ones that looked smart didn't have a lot of persistence and they would just give up. And sometimes other ones that maybe didn't look like they had as much potential would just have the most fierce stubbornness and determination. And no matter what happened, that was these enormous challenges. They would just fight and fight and fight and fight, and they would succeed. And so I believe that it doesn't really matter what you look like on the outside. I think almost anyone can be a pilot with the right training and with a lot of persistence. What matters is that you work really hard and you have that persistence and work and work and work. So I would say that's a great point. And have the luck to get the medical. That's the most limiting part. That is also important. I mean, obviously, your health has to be good and you have to maintain that. Johnny, please go right ahead. Yeah, sure. I, I definitely want to speak on, on something that was very personal to myself with flight training. You know, for the younger audience members, you know, get out of your own way, like self-doubt. When you first start, it's one of the most crippling and debilitating things that you go through. If things get hard, if money gets tight, or just, you know, a maneuver you can't quite get, or someone tells you no, keep going, keep pushing. My first training, air aviation experience was flying helicopters. Flying helicopters is not easy. I almost quit. Like, I almost quit in the program. But, you know, I had people that that cared and helped motivate me. And I had to get out of my own way to, to know that I was able to accomplish that goal. And here I am today with all this different experience, all these flight hours, all these things, because I didn't quit. I didn't give up on myself. So don't, don't get in your own way. Have the confidence to keep pushing. Well said. And I'm curious, I want to take a survey by microphone flashes. How many pilots here considered quitting or giving up at one point. Yep, I see microphone flashes. If I wasn't speaking, my microphone would be flashing. There are times when the training seems really hard. We wonder if we are ever going to complete it. Sometimes it just seems like we're not making a lot of progress. But getting past that is part of the secret to being a pilot. It takes a lot of determination. Sometimes it's thinking about your dreams. Other times it's just getting so angry at the people that say that you can't do it, that you fight through anyway. Okay. Any advice from the professional pilots here? And then I think we'll open it up to questions from the audience. Enrique. I mean, I don't know if you can hear me well, but I would say that at least my journey took me five years from zero to commercial. And even though it may sound a really long time, um, it was a good part of the journey because in that time, 
I met so many people, such amazing people during that journey that if I had to start from zero all over again, I would do that, definitely. It's nice when you can rush things, get shortcuts. It's always nice who doesn't like that. But learning, especially in this area, takes, takes its time and you need to respect that. There's no shortcuts on most of the things that you are learning when you're talking about flight training and building up your career as a professional pilot. Very well said. It just takes a lot of work. Okay, before we wrap up and move into less formal questions, I want to thank everyone who contributed today. You have given us so much. Thank you for telling us about your experiences. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. Thank you for inspiring us and for giving information that I believe will help a lot of us, whether we're just starting out or whether we're in the industry trying to guide other people, you'll help us understand different paths that they can take in their career and different ways that they can become pilots. And it doesn't always go according to plan, but I agree with what others have said, which is that even though it was much harder than I expected, I have never once regretted that I made that decision because it has made me the person that I am today. And it has certainly built a lot of character and I'm grateful for all of it. This is Captain Teresa. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. If you were one of the people being recorded, I thank you. If you were one of the people that we edited out of this recording, I beg your forgiveness. There were many reasons that this episode may have been edited, including length, audio quality, and accuracy. We don't always have the right answers. I ask you to view this as entertainment and not as a replacement for formal instruction or advice. If you want to send constructive feedback or if you have questions, feel free to contact us through our website, landingswithaflare.com. You can view announcements on our Instagram account, Landings with a Flare. You can also join our live conversations on Clubhouse in the club pilot flight training. If you got value out of this podcast, please consider subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a positive review. Wherever you are in the world, we wish you happy landings.